today some of our best segments from the global lane. Sudden death syndrome. It's no longer only babies. Working people and young athletes are suddenly dropping dead. We have a health problem, a national health crisis. Unfortunately, the vaccine is a taboo subject. Jumping on the bandwagon, St. Louis joins San Francisco and considers paying reparations to its black citizens. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Sudden death among healthy working age people worldwide is skyrocketing. Here in America, it was up 40 percent during the third and fourth quarters of 2021. Our next guest contends a 10 percent jump would have been a one in 200 year event. But this was 40 percent. Edward Dowd is a founding partner of Finance Technologies and author of the new book, Cause Unknown, the Epidemic of Sudden Deaths in 2021 and 2022. Okay, Edward, most people would respond to this sudden death news and say the statistics jumped 40 percent because of COVID-19. What do you say? Yeah, so in 2020, it was mostly old folks who died of COVID with comorbidities. Then there was a sudden mix shift in 2021 and 22 and continues in 23. And my uh, work and my partner's work points to something that happened with the employed of our country. It's been detrimental to your health to be employed in 21 and 22. And we examined the Society of Actuaries, which is an industry group for insurers that does surveys. In August of 22, they came out with a survey uh, for their group life policyholders, and group life is a specific policy for those who onboard to Fortune 500 or mid-sized companies. You get this uh, death benefit as kind of a freebie when you onboard, and you you know you get one or two extra salary. Should you die, you get that. Your family gets that, or your beneficiary. You have to be employed at the time you get it. Well, this is a great business for insurance companies, and in 2021, the whole industry experienced 40% excess death in uh, ages 25 through 64. The millennials 25 through 44 were, were hard hit, particularly. The group life policyholders generally die at one third the rate of the general US population in any given year. And in 2021, I just said they, they had 40% excess death. Um, the general US population had 32% excess death. Well, it seems and, like, uh, tell us about some of these unexpected sudden deaths. It seems like there are a lot of them. I mean, just from a Google search, you can find like a lot of 12, 14, 16, 18 year olds that are just dropping dead suddenly. Tell us more. Right. Right. And in my book, I talk about sudden death and we look at the sudden deaths of athletes, which, you know, did it happen before 21? It did. There was a study in 2006 by the Lausanne Institute in Switzerland that showed over the course of 38 years, they found 1101 sudden athletic deaths, which is about 29 a year globally. We'd be lucky to have a month with just 29 since uh, uh, since 2021. In my book alone, there's hundreds and hundreds of examples. So something's changed. I obviously blame the vaccine because that's what's changed and mandates. And um, you know, my, the naysayers will tell me it's COVID, long COVID. Well, um, if that's the case, uh, why did it uh, not affect the young in 2020? And so. We have a health problem, a national health crisis, and at the very least, it should be examined and discussed openly. Unfortunately, the vaccine is a taboo subject, and uh, it's not allowed to be discussed in the mainstream media or pretty much anywhere near health authorities. So this is a problem that needs to be reckoned with. We need a national discussion about it. And you know, if I'm proven wrong, that's great. But unfortunately, uh, on Wall Street, when we see statistics like this, 
we, we, we and, and trend changes like this, uh, we become quite alarmed. And that's yeah. what I do for a living. Yeah, it, it gets your attention. And I want to remind people that you're not a medical doctor, but you've done a lot of research on this for your book. So what did medical professionals speculate is the probable cause of all these sudden deaths? Do they agree with you? Uh, well, it depends uh, on, 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 on where you fall down on the issue. The, obviously, the frontline doctors who were vilified early on, who um, identified the vaccine issues, like Peter McCullough, Dr. Malone, and others agree with me. Um, the excuses I've heard from many medical professionals is, well, there's suicides, Ed, there's um, uh, drug and fentanyl overdoses and missed cancer screening appointments. Well, let's take a look at what happened in the third quarter of 2021. The millennial group, in the, uh, according to the Society of Actuaries, that's ages 25 through 44, experienced into the third quarter a rise from about 30% excess mortality uh, to 84%, very sudden, uh, rapid change. So I call that an event. I call that the mandate event in, in, in the fall of 2021. And to say that uh, Fortune 500 and midsize uh, company employees had a suicide pact doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, to keep to, to get your claim, you have to keep your job. Uh, fentanyl users and heroin, heroin users don't stay employed very long, and it's also suspicious they decided to overdose in the same quarter. And then the missed cancer screening appointments doesn't make any sense. I'm 56, never had one. Uh, it's something that young folks don't tend to do. So this is, um, and for all three to have occurred simultaneously is, is, is nearly impossible. So there is an event that occurred in 2021 if the doctors can explain that to me, we had already gone from the original Wuhan uh, uh, variant to Delta, and Delta didn't seem to do this damage in the summer, and Delta was all over the place in the summer. So somebody needs to investigate this. I have my definitive conclusion in my estimation. It's the vaccine. I'll, you know, I'll be proven wrong until, I'm, and right now I don't have anybody coming up with an excuse that makes any sense to me or anybody else, quite frankly. Okay, the book is Cause Unknown, The Epidemic of Sudden Deaths in 2021 and 2022. Edward Dodd, thank you for sharing those insights. We appreciate it. Red alert. Heavy smoke from Canadian wildfires may be lessening. However, it is still affecting the air quality and health of millions of Americans, mostly along the East Coast, parts of Pennsylvania, and even the upper Midwest. President Biden said the fires are a stark reminder of the impacts of climate change. Here's White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. It is yet another ex alarming example of the ways in which the climate crisis is disturbing our lives and our communities. That's why from day one, President Biden rightfully recognized the climate crisis, climate change, as one of, uh, one of the four crises facing our nation as he was coming into the Oval Office. Joining us to share his thoughts on the Canadian wildfires and the impact on climate change is the executive director of the CO2 uh, Coalition, uh, Gregory Wrightstone. Gregory, it's good to talk with you again. Here we go again. Canada's wildfires, heavy smoke drifting across the border into the U.S. caused by climate change. Explain to us why you think that's untrue. Well, there's, there's a lot of bad influence or information being floated around out there. One of the claims they're making is this is unprecedented. This has never happened before. Well, I've got um, reports from 1780, uh, 250 years ago, that... Uh, it was called the day without sunshine. It was called the darkest day uh, back in 1780. And it was because of the same thing. 
Uh, again, in the 1920s, New York City, I have a New York Times article uh, showing very similar effect here. So is it unusual? Yes, but it's not unprecedented. These things occur uh, occasionally from time to time. And in, in, in 1780 and 1920, uh, climate change didn't have anything to do with that, and it doesn't have anything to do with this. The other One of the other things they're saying is that uh, climate change is causing these fires uh, to occur earlier than they've ever occurred. Well, again, that the facts don't bear that out. Uh, Alberta, the, the fire started in Alberta, Western Canada, in the northern latitudes. Uh, May is the peak fire season for fires in Alberta. It's So it, the fires occur every year in Canada, uh, some two and a half million hectares, which... Uh, one hectare equals about two and a half acres. So you do the math. I'm not. I'm a geologist, not a mathematician. But so every year we have uh, wildfires that range five million down to very few. Last year, uh, fires in Canada uh, was uh, almost a historically low number. Uh, 2020 was the historic low number, um, and that's probably leading. That's one of the problems they have in Canada right now is last since last year uh, was very low in fire numbers. All that brush and grass that's now accumulated for two years has built up. Um, the other thing to consider, according to the Can Canadian Forestry Service, um, they're experts. And if you go to their website, what's really interesting, they talk about the benefits of fire how beneficial it is for the Canadian forest. And it's very well, it's very much needed uh, to have a healthy forest. In fact, on their website, the second paragraph down, uh, their chief forester said that fires are just as important to a healthy forest as are, get this, I hope you're sitting down, fire, fires are just as important as water and sunlight. Karine Jean-Pierre also said President Biden's tackling climate change by making one of his uh, top priorities, and he's implemented historic policies. Well, let's see. Uh, some of the changes are shutting down the Keystone Pipeline, opposing fracking, pushing to phase out coal. He wants Americans to invest in wind farms, electric cars, even for the U.S. military. Your thoughts on those changes? Well, obviously, there's nothing they're going to do that's going to impact uh, global temperatures, atmospheric temperatures. If we if we had decreased, and we use what's called the magic simulator that was devised by uh, NOAA, National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, it shows that had we gone to net zero in 2010, uh, we'll have, we will have averted one-tenth of one degree Fahrenheit by the year 2100, uh, spending tens and maybe over $100 trillion to get there. And it doesn't make much sense. The other thing, Gary, no one talks about, They, you've probably heard we can't cross the one and a half degree threshold. Well, it's not one and a half degrees. It's one and a half degrees from uh, the 1800s before the Industrial Revolution. We've already warmed one degree centigrade. So what they're talking about is the danger of increasing temperature by half a degree centigrade. That's nine-tenths of a degree Fahrenheit. Gary, where you sit in your office, if it changed nine-tenths of a degree, you couldn't tell. The, the big story, I know you've had me on many times, uh, that we preach at the CO2 Coalition are the benefits of modest warming and more CO2. 
and by almost every metric the earth and humanity are thriving and prospering because of the of the of the combination of warming and, and more co2 and we should celebrate that thank you greg for sharing your time and insights we appreciate it St. Louis is now the latest U.S. city to consider paying reparations to African Americans as compensation for slavery. The special commission will spend one year examining the issue before sending recommendations to the city. Council members in San Francisco are already considering making payments of $5 million to each qualifying black resident in that city. So are reparations the best way to make amends for America's past sin of slavery? What could be done instead to bring about racial reconciliation? Well, joining us is longtime civil rights and community development leader Robert Woodson. Mr. Woodson is an author, founder, and president of the Woodson Center. Mr. Woodson, it's so good to talk with you again. So tell me, what advice do you have for the Reparations Commission in St. Louis? Stop this foolish preoccupation that's deflecting attention away from the more critical issues facing not only black sections of black America, but the entire nation, that this whole somehow uh, black America is being used, uh, starting a few years ago with the 1619 Project at the, uh, at the New York Times, black uh, America's stain of slavery and its, its uh, birth defect is really being weaponized against the fundamental values of this nation. And Reparations is just another iteration of this whole assault on our culture. In San Francisco, uh, they're proposing $5 million uh, in reparations for each citizen who qualifies, and about 6% of the city residents there and 40% of the homeless are black. So how do you take care of San Francisco's homeless problems? <laughs> would, would reparations solve it? Well, first of all, we have had reparations over the years. It, it was, it's called a poverty program. Uh, we've spent $22 trillion over the course of 60 years on programs to aid the poor, uh, where 70 cents of every one of those dollars did not go to the poor, but those who serve the poor. These professional service providers ask not which problems are solvable, but which one is fundable. So we have monetized poverty in America, and that's why in the face of all these expenditures, it has not improved. And so just really, uh, anytime you give people money, you separate work from income, it has a, a terrible effect on people. Look at the people who win the lottery. 70% of them wish they had never won it because you separate work from income, it creates more problems than it solves. And so to suggest that somehow the problems of, of injustice, so-called injustice can be satisfied by writing a check is ridiculous. A, a, a 2022 Pew Research survey found that 68% of Americans oppose reparations. Their survey found 80% of black people support it. So why is there such a disparity? Well, again, uh, a lot of people have been sold in this notion that because of our, our, our tortured past on slavery, that somehow this problem can be resolved through the, the uh, giving of money. I mean, it's, it's just a delusion. Um, and, and, and it's not going to solve the problem. 
once you go down this road, many people wonder where would it end? You give reparations to blacks, then Native Americans would want the same for their mistreatment. Japanese Americans would want the same for their internment dur during World War II. So what do you see as the best solution? How can there be forgiveness and racial reconciliation? What needs to be done to make amends for slavery? Well, we, no we should not try to make amends for slavery. None of us should be judged by the worst of what we were in the past. How many of your listeners and viewers believe you should be judged by the worst of what you were in? America is a country of redemption. If you And so what we do at the Woodson Center is we looked at how black Americans' uh, response to oppression, it was not to uh, seek recrimination and revenge. We practiced radical grace. We gave an example, for instance, in our essays in 1776 Unites, of Robert Smalls, who was a man born slave uh, and uh, in Sumter, South Carolina. And he was working on a uh, supply ship, and he uh, commandeered the ship with his six crewmen, picked up their families, and turned the ship over to the Union Navy. And he became celebrated. He became wealthy after the war and went back and purchased the plantation on which he was a slave and took in the destitute family of the slave master. There is an example of radical grace in action. If someone like Robert Small could not only forgive, but offer help to the very family that enslaved him as an act of radical grace, why can't people 150 years removed find that same radical grace today? What's going to save us is we must point to the more severe problem and that is the destruction of our children. So it's not enough to tell people to turn away from reparations. We must tell them where they must turn to. And so I think it's a matter of us turning our direction towards the real crisis in America, and that is the wholesale destruction of our children who are growing up without a true value of human life. If you do not respect your life, you'll take your own or someone else's. And so that's the moral vacuum that exists that I think that only faith in God can fill that. And we have endless examples at the Woodson Center of grassroots people who are living in these very troubled neighborhoods, but who have found uh, redemption and transformation. And we document it and we give examples of it. And we just need to build on this foundation of success, of giving people a sense of content and meaning to their life. Welcome to the Corporate States of America, where companies not only sell you their products, but also push a woke cultural agenda on their customers. By now, you probably know about Anheuser-Busch's debacle putting transsexual Dylan Mulvaney on Bud Light cans and Target's Pride Tuck-friendly swimwear and accessories line. Those decisions have cost the two companies to lose at least $25 billion in stock value. And it makes you wonder why their CEOs still have their jobs. Anyway, now Disney, the company that lost at least $300 million by promoting homosexuality in the animated kids' movies Lightyear and Strange World, is at it again. I guess Disney hasn't learned its lessons, folks. Courtney Faber posted videos on TikTok of her family's visit to Disneyland. One of them has received 8 million views. 
It shows her daughter greeted by Nick, the fairy godmother's apprentice, as she enters the Bibbidi-Bobbidi-Boo boutique. And the conversation may have gone something like this. Mommy, why does that princess have a mustache? Oh, honey, because some princesses are boys. Folks, Nick is probably a kind person. He seems friendly, but really? Do you want cross-dressing men greeting your kids in the Magic Kingdom? I'd rather have Mickey there. Well, how about them watching a new show about an 18-year-old impregnated by Satan? That's Disney's latest project. They've agreed to stream the six-part German-produced series on Disney+. Plus. The show's name is Pauline. It's produced by the same people who created the Netflix show How to Sell Drugs Online Fast. The producers say Pauline is, quote, close to their hearts. They're thrilled that Disney loves the coming-of-age story as much as we do. Don't get me wrong, I'm not encouraging a boycott of Disney. That's for you to decide as parents. But you should let Disney know how you feel. Movie Guide chairman and founder Ted Bear is calling on parents to petition Disney Plus to stop the release of Pauline on their platform. Bear wants to keep, quote, twisted and disturbing content from corrupting our children's values and beliefs. Remember the popular saying back in the 1990s, what would Jesus do? Maybe it's time the folks at Disney start asking themselves, what would Walt do? I can't imagine Walt Disney would have approved of a series like Pauline or the company's anti-family agenda. And folks, we just can't wave a magic wand like the fairy godmother and Cinderella and say bibbidi-bobbidi-boo and poof, Disney and other woke corporations will return to the way they were 20 years ago, only selling their products and services. Those days are gone. CEOs now believe they must force their ideas on the public and change the culture. Their mission today has gone far beyond only making profits. But when the family-friendly public expresses outrage and says, we've had enough, we're not buying what you're selling, it gets the attention of stockholders who lose money because of bad decisions. So folks, let's keep the faith. Let's pray corporate CEOs come to realize it's more profitable to stay out of the culture war. And let's remember to put our faith into action. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, YouTube, Rumble, social media, and SoundCloud. And until next time, be blessed.